So my text this evening is going to be in Exodus chapter 3, um, verses 4 through 14, and then we'll jump over to um, Exodus chapter 4 a little bit after that. So, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, that he here is Moses, to see, God called him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So the first thing that I want to talk about tonight is recognizing our shame. We can't understand why it is. I think it's very peculiar that God goes through this whole long spiel to Moses and the first response we get is who am I to go to Pharaoh? It's not, why have you waited 450 years? It's not, are you really the God of my people? It's, who am I that you're going to send me to Pharaoh? So in order to understand this interaction, I think we first have to understand where Moses is coming from. Moses was a baby Hebrew boy when he was born, and around that time, the Pharaoh at that time had commanded the, um, all the Israelite male children to be thrown, uh, male young boys, to be thrown into the Nile. And his mother hid him until he, she couldn't hide him anymore, and then put him in a basket and sent him along the Nile River. Now, one thing that I think is very interesting about that is that the very thing that was supposed to kill Moses ended up being his method of salvation. Because not only was the Nile supposed to kill him, but it was Pharaoh's household that was trying to kill him, and it was Pharaoh's daughter who found him. 
So Moses being a Hebrew child, floating along the Nile, Pharaoh's daughter sees him, picks him up and decides to keep him, and then gives him back to Moses' mother so that she could raise him until he was old enough to come into the palace. So we have what I like to phrase as an identity crisis with Moses. He's a man of two worlds. He knows he's a Hebrew, but he's the prince of Egypt. He's from God's chosen people, and he has more power than almost anyone else in the world. And he doesn't know what to do about it. His name literally means, we see in Exodus 2.10, his name literally means taken out of the water. His very identity, what he was called day in and day out, was you don't belong anywhere. It was a reminder of the fact that he did not belong. I took you out of the water because you were supposed to be dead. That's who Moses was. Now, we see further on in his story, pretty shortly actually, that he felt the tension of both worlds. He sees one of his Hebrew kinsmen being beaten by a taskmaster and kills the taskmaster and thinks he gets away with it, thinks he doesn't get caught, but he finds out later that everyone knows about it, and so he has to run. He has to hide because of his shame. But he felt, we could see the tension there, but he felt the calling to help his people very early on, very clearly. It didn't exactly go about it the right way, but he wanted to do something good. He had, and he had the motivation and he felt the ability to do something. And that's more than a lot of people can say. We like to dog Moses a little bit, I think, for his actions when, for the most part, I think his heart was pretty pure. He was just trying to stick up for the people that were defenseless. For his people... And this moves him from prince of the most powerful empire in the world at that time into exile in the middle of nowhere. This is something that I think we often can we oftentimes can relate to. We go from the top of the highest mountain, peak experience in life, and we make a few mistakes and we hit rock bottom. And it weighs heavy on our souls and it sticks. Moses lived in the shame of his exile. He made a life there. He met a wife. He had a job. Day in and day out. What I think is even more heartbreaking, and I'll get into this more later, is he he felt called to be the shepherd of God's people and he ended up being the shepherd of another man's sheep. Shame is a real, a real prison. 
and it will keep you bound if you let it. He had all the good intentions in the world, but his actions brought him to his lowest point. He felt the shame of not being able to accomplish what it was he wanted to accomplish, but also the shame of not being able to stay where he was, the shame of not living up to the calling that he knew he was called to. And again, he was the shepherd, not of the people of God, but of another man's sheep. And that's where we meet That's where he meets God. Is when he is shepherding another man's sheep. So, let's turn to Exodus 4, verses 1 through 5. Moses and God have a little bit of a going back and forth. It's a lot of God saying, I am the God of your father Abraham, and yada, yada, yada. And then we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4, Then Moses answered, But suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground, and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it, and the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. And so he reached out his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff again so that they may know that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob appeared to you. What I think is so interesting about this, why, I mean, God could do a lot of different things here, right? God could have shown him his back like he does later. He could have just yelled a little bit louder and got Moses' attention. But what he chooses to do is give Moses a sign. And this is the same sign that Moses later gives to Pharaoh, but I think it means something more to Moses, or is supposed to, than it means to anyone else. See, the staff was a symbol of his shame. And the staff was also a symbol of his people's oppression. In um, ancient Egypt, we, um, they would have, and we have a lot of their, the remnants and artifacts from, from that period, um, on, on their walls they have massive murals, and their hieroglyphics are um, beautiful to look at. And in one of them, you see an Egyptian pharaoh, or in several really, you see an Egyptian pharaoh holding a shepherd's crook over people. This shepherd's crook was a sign of his people's oppression. It was what the Egyptians symbolized and used to promote their power over Moses' people. And so what we have here is God saying, I want you to take your people's oppression and throw it on this holy ground. Remember, he called it holy ground earlier. Throw, it on, throw your people's oppression on this holy ground and I'm going to do something with it. Another symbol. Moses wanted to be the shepherd of God's people. He wanted to deliver them from their bondage. 
And instead, as I said before, he becomes the shepherd of another man's sheep. This was not just a symbol of his people's oppression. This was also a symbol of his people's bondage and his shame. God is saying, take the shame that you feel and put it on my holy ground. He wants Moses to recognize the shame in his life, the oppression in his life, the hurt in his life, and recognize that it belongs to God. What's interesting is next, the the staff becomes a snake. Previously in Scripture, we've only seen a snake of one specific time, maybe a few other times, Um, but the the, the biggest time is in the Garden of Eden, um, and this is the representation of evil. So what happens to Moses' shame and his people's oppression when he throws it at God's feet is it becomes evil. It becomes horrible. It becomes something destructive, repulsive. Moses runs from it. And God says, no, don't run from the oppression like you did before. Don't run from the shame like you did before. I want you to pick it up. That's interesting. What's more interesting is that he said, seize it by the tail. Okay, so we live in the south. We know this. You don't pick up a snake by the tail. That's bad. Why is that bad? It will bite you. It can do that. What I think is so interesting is not only is God saying, Moses, your shame and your oppression are at my feet. And yes, they are bad. But I want you to make yourself vulnerable to them. I want you to realize what they are. Because once you do that, what is it that happens? The snake becomes a staff again. And this time, it's not a symbol of oppression. It's not a symbol of shame. It is a symbol of power and of calling and of liberty. This staff splits the Red Sea. It cracks a rock in half and spawns a waterfall to sustain God's people. This staff heals the sick. This staff stops the sun. God did all of that from the shame and oppression of his people. Let that sink in. The shame and oppression of his people became God's method physically of so many of miracles that aren't just in the book of Exodus, but Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. 
The next three books that aren't strictly law are filled with stories of this staff through Moses and his successor Joshua doing amazing things. And there's nothing special about the staff. It's not that God like magically made the staff you know, do all these, these weird things. It was the staff was the symbol, was the symbol of the shame and oppression, and now is the symbol of God's power in his people. If we can stop letting shame and oppression bind us, I believe God has the same thing in store for us. Not not to be bound by shame, not to run into exile and half-cut our calling, but to lead God's people with power, purpose, and deliberation. Now, in order to do that, though, we have to respond to God's voice. Going back to Exodus chapter 3 in verse 4, God calls to Moses. He says, Moses, Moses, and God responds, or Moses responds, here I am. Now, what's interesting about this, and this is something that's more from my paper than anything else, what I noticed, because we read through, um, we're going through the Bible in chronological order um, in my class, and we started through Genesis, and what we started to notice was all of the major patriarchs in the book of Genesis make this statement, here I am. Abraham makes it three times in the story of, excuse me, in the story of him sacrificing Isaac. Once when God calls to him, God says, Abraham, Abraham, and Moses, or Abraham says, here I am. And after that, God says, okay, I want you to go kill your son on a mountain. You cool with that? Good. Then Moses, or sorry, Abraham is on the way with his son to the mountain. They're going. And Isaac's like, yo, dad, um, where's the goat that we're going to kill? And when he calls his father, Moses' response is, here I am. Then again, it happens one more time in the story. Abraham has the knife over his son who's tied on the altar, and the angel says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responds, here I am. It happens later with Isaac. Um, Isaac is called to by Jacob when Jacob is deceiving his father. He says, um, Esau, or no, uh, Jacob says, Father, and Isaac responds, Here I am. And that is right before Isaac is deceived. Esau has the same thing. It's in that same passage. He responds, here I am to his father right around the same time that Jacob stole his blessing. Joseph responds, here I am, when his father Jacob calls him to send him to his brothers right before he gets thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, all that stuff. And then Jacob responds to God when God calls Jacob to go down to Egypt. 
with his family. He responds, here I am. And so every single one of these moments we see in the book of Genesis is a defining moment for these characters. It is something that changes the direction of their lives, their character, and their relationship with God. Previously for Jacob, we hadn't seen him respond to God clearly in a positive way, trusting and hoping and being willing to move honestly. In Esau, this was a defining moment because this was the moment he changed. This is the moment he went from a man who despised his birthright and didn't care about it to learning that he was missing out on everything God had for him. On Isaac, this was the moment that he fades from the story completely and becomes a background character because he just got deceived by his son and now his family is in shambles. For Joseph, this was right before every, his entire world got turned upside down. While he was behaving wildly like an arrogant little brat. I mean, hey guys, you're all going to bow down to me. Um, and then with Abraham, the father of faith, all three of his times were right before he proved to God, he proved to himself that he was willing to sacrifice whatever it took to follow God. Now, I have a lot to say about the Abraham sacrificing Isaac story, and I'll save that for, for later, but it is beautiful because God, God showed Abraham very practically I will never require from you what the other gods do. I will never require your son. And we find out later that is in spite of the fact that he is willing to give up his son for us. So, we have all of these heroes of faith in Genesis making this declaration, here I am. And that is the same thing that Moses does here. He responds to God's call, not not even with the heart of wanting to go do something, but just with the heart of being present and there. You don't always have to feel like you can do big things or even want to do big things. Remember, Moses was living in his shame at this point, but he responded when God showed up. He recognized what was happening and he responded to God's voice. And because of his response, because of his here I am, God does all of the things that I described earlier. But not only that, because of his here I am, God reveals his I am. When Moses questions him, if I come to them, what am I to say? Like, if they ask me, who, who is sending me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. 
I think it's so, it's, it's beautiful. Literarily speaking, it's beautiful. Because we have all of these heroes of our faith who are present, who are the, you know, they're here, here I am. And we have God just say, I am. I took um, an excerpt from my paper because I don't think I could put it any better than this. In contrast to our broken hero's statement of here I am, God makes the statement that I am. This seems to be God's answer to the patriarch's continuous strive to be present and active. While they may be here, God seems to claim to always be. This fact may give reason for God's selection of our previous leaders. Their character is seen to be like His. They desire to be present. I am is spoken just before the beginnings. God begins to take large action within the narrative of the story. Analyzing the juxtaposition of here I am and I am seems to give this more weight, especially when we reference Abraham's usage of the phrase. One of the things that I love about Abraham's usage is in the middle, his son is like, yo, dad, we don't have a sacrifice. And he seems like he's starting to get a little suspicious, like, why am I here? And I heard... um, a messianic rabbi say it this way. Abraham's response of here I am is him saying to his son, I know this is weird. I know this is awkward. I know that this doesn't feel good. This doesn't look good. I don't know what's going to happen, but I can promise that I'm going to be here with you for you anyway. I don't want to be hiking up this mountain without a goat. I don't want to be getting ready to sacrifice my son, whom is supposed to be the carrier of God's calling on my life. But I'm going to be here for you. God's people have just been through 400 years of slavery. God's getting ready to do so much. And the one question that I can imagine comes to each one of their minds is, Where was he before? And God's statement of I am is, I was always here. I was waiting on your heart and for the proper time. Trust me. Trust my story. No longer do we need the here I am of fallen leaders, but the I am of the God who seeks restoration. This elevates the character of God above that of our previous heroes and seems to set him apart. This contrast in his character directly against those of his chosen people uh, he has chosen to partner with will also show the readers that they are like him in this way. I am becomes not just a statement about who he is, but his invite for them to trust the story he is walking them through. I am. I've always been here, and I want you to trust me. So the third thing we need to do after recognizing our shame and responding to God's voice is realize who He is. 
realize that he is the I am, the indescribable, the all-powerful, the above all things. And trust him when things don't seem to go right. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do when things hurt. When when you're in exile, living far below your calling. When you're taking care of another man's sheep instead of the people of God. Recognizing that I am, that He is, can be difficult. But it's the only way that we come to a better place ourselves. It's the only way, it's the only way that we can heal the scars of our past and look to a future that is full of joy with Him. We see, like I mentioned earlier, Moses do all of these great things, all for the glory of God, taking none of the credit himself, and leading like the leader he would have been if he had never spent his time in exile, except for the fact that he was far more humble even when God decides that he's going to wipe out all of the Israelites and just start over with Moses' children, Moses says, no, I don't want the glory for myself. You made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Keep it. So, The question of what shame we carry, what bondage, what oppression weighs down on us, how we respond to God's call, and whether or not we will recognize who He is and what that means about us is before us. And it's not a question that we can answer with words. It's a question that we answer with actions each and every day as we wake up, as we get our feet on the floor, and we start running. Do we live like we're His? Do we speak to the rock so that water comes out, or do we hit it in anger? That being the one mistake Moses made. And that's the question I'll leave with you guys. Let's pray.